Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for your word that has the ability to change us, to transform us, and to cause growth in our lives like we could not ever do ourselves, Father. So we thank you, Lord, that even as I speak this morning, I ask that you would really anoint me to speak and that you would also anoint the hearers to hear what you're saying to us, Lord. Help us all to grow. Help us all to go home today uh, carrying something new and fresh in our hearts because of your word and because of the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, and I'm going to read from 25 through to 32. Acts chapter 20, 25 through to 32. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent, pardon me, of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd those church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. Last week we heard from Bram, preached an awesome sermon called How Significant is the House of God? And we heard how we are literally being built into a house. The Christianity isn't an event. It's not a service. It's not a brand. It's not a church name. It's not a fad. It's not anything else, but it is a journey that we are going on as individuals, but as individuals to be built into a spiritual house. Ram also talked about Peter, who's an incredible example of the highs and the lows of that kind of journey, somebody who actually denied Jesus uh, and yet had the, high, had the lows and had the highs, had the high of being the very first preacher for the beginning and the birthing of the church, and uh, then began this incredible ministry, saw incredible miracles come through him, Supernatural things were happening, but still later on as he journeyed in his Christian walk, in his journey of discipleship, even as an apostle, he still had to go through humbling by other apostles when Paul challenged him on some of the things that he was doing and saying. And, uh, and so we see that it is a journey of discipleship. We see that um, even as a leader, we're never exempt from the testings and trials and of character development, that that's just part of our journey. Who would say a big yes to that? <laughs> I think we all understand that. And so today, as we start and we read from the book of Acts, well, what I just read there was basically Paul's farewell to the elders at Ephesus. So the Ephesian church, he gathered the elders together and he began to speak to them. And it was a very somber, sober sort of message that he spoke to them. And once again, we see the familiar theme of constant challenge and opportunity for vigilance and growth as disciples. And here we have Paul literally calling them to be aware and to be on guard. And he's basically saying, you're about to be ravaged by wolves. I already know that this is going to happen. 
and he's giving them a very sober thing. But in his message, he's also putting the onus back on the disciples. He's saying, be on the alert. And uh, he's also putting the onus back onto the power of the word of God that he has taught them. Because it says that it will build you up and give you an inheritance. So we see here a multi-layered, multi-faceted kind of message from Paul to these Ephesian elders. This is the beginning of the church. This is, uh, you know, another moment where there's a transition from one leader down to the next group of leaders. And um, we see here that as he's been there for three years, he's teaching them, he's preaching to them. Clearly his anointing and his gifting and his level of revelation has protected this new group of believers. Because he's basically saying, I know that after my departure, after I leave, after I've gone and you no longer have my gifting, my anointing, what God has placed on me and in me and through me to protect you, after I leave, ravaging wolves are going to come in. Savage wolves are going to come in and take you out. And it will come from people amongst you. So basically he was saying, okay, guys, now it's your turn. Your turn is coming now. Because there is always a generational turnover when it comes to responsibility to carry on what Jesus started. But just like with Peter, just exactly what happened with Peter, that spirit of deception was lurking, waiting to take out the sheep. So I want to fast forward now into the 21st century, to 2018. And uh, we are seeing a generation, an older generation, who basically are beginning to pass on now. We're beginning to see the great men and women of God that Brahma and I really looked up to, that have really been mentored by, really listened and received from their teachings, really drawn from their anointings and taken everything that they have to give to anybody who will listen. We're beginning to see one by one they're deteriorating. And uh, they're either deteriorating and, and have dementia and can no longer speak, or they've actually passed away, uh, or they're people that have actually taught in DMS over the years. Uh, one, we just went to a funeral of our precious Reen Connor, who was 89, and she died a couple of weeks ago. And uh, she's passed on, and she was a great woman of faith. And uh, we see her husband, Kevin, who's now in a nursing home and, can't, and can barely speak, written well over 70 books that have uh, nourished and nurtured the body of Christ over the years. And we've seen, we've seen many of these great heroes that Brahm and I personally have looked to. You know, John and Julie Steele, who are in, in uh, New Zealand into their 80s now. We look at Phil and Barbara Hills, both of them are either 79 or 81, you know, into that phase where they're, they've passed, they're passing now, their season of impact, and they've been impacting Brahm and I. But before we know it, they will be leaving and they will be going home to be with the Lord. And so we find ourselves in this interesting position, and we were talking about this with some other pastors uh, the other evening who came to visit us who are of similar age, and they said it's weird to go to these funerals and realize these people that have been mothers and fathers in the faith to us, they're leaving, and now, and, and one of them said, now I realize I'm the next cab off the rank. And uh, that's a really good way of putting it. Like we sort of look above us and there's not really that many, it's like, oh, it's us now. We're, we're it, leading the people of God in our field that God has placed us in. And so it's our turn now to oversee, to cover, to teach, and begin the handover of truth to the next generation. This is a really serious thing for Brahm and I. It's a very sobering thought for Brahm and I. <clears throat> it's one that we've dedicated our lives to. I'm going to have to ask for some water. I'm really sorry. Thank you, darling. Um, 
uh, one that we've, since we came to know Jesus and walk with him, we have wholeheartedly and single-mindedly given our lives to following him and to building the people of God. It's been the greatest privilege of our lives, one that we will see out with the, in a blaze of glory. We keep telling each other, okay, babe, we've got another 20 or 30 years. Come on, we're going to go out. We're going to give everything we've got. And uh, so instead of slowing down, we're actually, all, all my friends from school, I, I hear, you know, one was a, a lawyer, one was a judge, one was a police officer, one was this, that, and the other back in South Australia. They're all resigning and retiring now. And I'm like, how boring. I couldn't bear to re- retire and resign. I feel like I'm coming into a season of my life, and same with Brahm, where we have the greatest ability to sow and pour into the next generation now. We're refiring, not retiring, as Brown would say. Just another one of his wonderful jokes. Um, we are, we're refiring, that's exactly right. But we take this really serious because this is our calling. This is who we are. Whether we're working in a church, whether we're, you know, whether Brown was working in a factory, whether I was a mum at home, this has been our calling. And we, I know we have been faithful with that since the second that we became believers of Jesus and followers of the Lord. Uh, but I look at the generation now and I see a bit of a problem. I think we all probably see a bit of a problem. And uh, I think we could probably phrase it in a way of saying that there's a great disconnect. And I'm hearing it from the younger generation. Um, this disconnect with church and combining that with just normal everyday life. It seems like there's a real tension of people saying, I want to do good, but all I do is I do bad. I want to try and live out this life that is called Christianity, but I don't find myself doing it. One thing that I see in this incredible disconnect, and I suppose now Brahm and I do have the uh, blessing and the privilege of having more of a bird's eye view. At our age, we've gone through so many things, walked through such a long journey with God, with other people, and experienced so many things that uh, we see now that there's a great change and a difference in, in the way things were even 30 years ago when we became Christians, 40 years ago. It's much more of a me-centered gospel. Can anyone see that? Is, is this true? Um, and its impact is on people's growth and their view of God. People are so good at playing Christianity. And to the point that we really have to say, you know, where is Jesus right now? Where is he in our lives? We have to ask ourselves these kind of questions. You know, am I sitting here playing a game? Am I doing this because I grew up being told I had to go to church? Am I doing this because this is a habit that I've been raised in? Or am I doing this because Jesus is truly at the center of my life? So where is he? Another question that many people ask themselves now, well, what is my purpose? In this me-centered kind of uh, gospel, in this me-centered kind of uh, philosophy of ministry and practice of ministry that now seems to be sweeping the world, it's all about, well, what is my purpose? You know, what am I called to do? And, um, you know, the preacher tells us that we hear preachers say, well, God has a plan for you. Well, what is it? What is the plan for, for my life? And so we, people look for prophetic words and they chase all sorts of things to try and find what is relevant for them and how they can find success. Um, at the same time as that is all happening on an individual basis, sadly, we see that the church as a whole as an institution, at an institutional level, is actually becoming more and more disconnected with society. And as we heard even a few weeks ago, just even the very relevance of church um, in the world right now. 
is are we really hitting what God wants us to hit? Are we really being relevant in the way that Jesus in, in, in asked us to be? And I see that there's a real danger of having a church or being a group of people that have a form of godliness but no power. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5 says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. Does this sound like 2018 to anyone? It does, doesn't it? Unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. We just have to look over social media and we can see this. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. I see a generation of people that follow rules, which is kind of the what of Christianity, but are possibly a little bit lazy at understanding the why. And I believe that when we do that, there's a real disconnect with reality and the reality of what truth really is to us. And uh, so just like with Peter, just like with the Ephesus church, the Ephesian church, that spirit of deception is lurking and waiting to take out the sheep. You see, we must know the why behind the what in order to be effective in the how. Do you like that? Let me explain it. In fact, you can add to it. Do you want to hear this one? Must, you must know the why and the who behind the what in order to be effective in the how. All right. So my question to you today, and this is what I want to title this sermon, will we contend for truth? Will we contend for truth? Jude 1 verse 3 says this, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. I believe more than ever that this is a season where we have to contend. You know, we keep saying the world is going crazy. It's going nuts on every level, at every dimension. And, um, and where, where is the voice of the church? Where is the relevance of the church? Where is our relevance as individuals? We feel like we're this shrinking sort of noise or sound in the world and even in our own lives and in, in our own communities. But I believe we need to go back to the scriptures and understand that God is, even now in 2018, is saying, will we contend for the faith that has been given to us? So how do we do that? And there are three points that I just want to give today. Three points that I believe are really pertinent to us as individuals, which in the end make up us as a body, to really be able to contend for the faith. Number one, we have to love truth. Number one, love truth. Let me read an incredible scripture to you from 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 to 12. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Wow, they refused to love the truth. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. John 5, 
verses 39 to 40. 5 verses 39 to 40 says this, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, this is describing right here in front of us form without power, religious structure without any power. And we can read this and go, well, that's just people in the world. Well, I actually believe I see more of this kind of stuff within the church. And I want to challenge our thinking here today because I see some fairly scary trends that are taking place worldwide that I will probably want to address today and, and, and talk about just briefly, but I want to touch on them. See, there is form, this to me is form without power. It's knowledge without a relationship with truth. It's knowledge without a relationship with the person of the truth. Truth is a person, okay? It's a person, it's Jesus. And so we as a people and as individuals must love and want truth until it hurts. Loving truth has got to hurt us because whenever we love truth, we will love truth more than we love what we want to do. We, we heard from Dave Nisantana a few weeks ago about this very thing, having a contrite heart. King David loved truth. He wanted truth at the expense of his own flesh. Is that right? That's what we heard, didn't we? But Saul didn't. He didn't want that. He didn't want truth. He didn't want to hear truth. This has nothing to do with will we sin or won't we sin. We are all going to sin. And the Bible tells us really clearly, if you say you, you don't sin, then you're actually a liar. So this isn't about whether we will sin or not. It's how we respond. And it's whether we actually have a heart that says, I want truth at all costs. And our, an acknowledgement of truth has to permeate our very character and our very core. Because lawlessness is increasing to challenge this. And according to the scriptures, refusal leads to deception. A refusal to really love, love truth is going to lead us into deception. It hurts to prioritize truth. Let me give you an example. When we prioritize truth, we actually obey the word, not for our sake, but for other people's sake. Let's look again in 1 Thessalonians this time, chapter 4, 2 to 8. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So remember I said before, we must know the why behind the what in order to be effective in the how. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, what is the what? The what is you need to abstain from sexual impurity. What is the how? Control your body. But if the why is missing, then it's just a dead form of rules. That's all it is. It's just you have to abstain, you have to control yourself, and there's no power emanating from the selfless love of God within. But if you look at the why, it's right there in the Scriptures. You know what the why is? Because we transgress and we defraud our brother. In other words, God makes everything about other people. Everything that we do has an impact on other people. He's not saying walk around and be so holy that you don't sin. He knows that that's impossible. But he says when you love truth,
truth and you desire truth, you will hold on to truth to the death of your own desires because truth is that God loves his people and he doesn't want to hurt his people. He doesn't want us to hurt his people. Holiness is so that we don't defraud other people. So it's kind of personal to God. Like this is a powerful principle. When we understand this, then truth, what is the truth? The truth is that God loves, this is the truth behind the what and the empowerment of the how. The truth is that God loves people so much. He loves our brothers and sisters so much that he doesn't want any of us crossing any boundaries that would harm them or hurt them, defraud them or rob them of the knowledge of God in any way, shape or form. That's the why behind the what. And that's knowing the heart of God. That's, that's the truth that you have to dig into in every, every single time you and I read the word of God. Look for the why behind the what. Because if it's just a bunch of what's and how's, you know what? You and I are going to give up really quickly because we can't do it. We need to know the why, which is the heart of God and the very nature and the character of God. So we have to want truth even if it kills us. So when we're in that position of we, want, we don't want to abstain from sexual immorality, we don't want to abstain from the lust of our flesh, we don't want to do it, and we can't, we're finding it really hard to have self-control over our bodies and, and we're quoting the scriptures, oh, God's given me self-control. I should be walking in the, in the fruit of the Spirit. I've got, I've got, you know, I've got uh, self-control and we're trying to do it that way. If that's all we have, it's like me saying I'm never going to eat chocolate again. That's never going to not happen. All right? But if I know the depth of the why and the love for God towards other people, and that my actions actually are about to defraud that person, wow, that sets this argument up in a whole different framework. Can we see this? But we will only discover that if we want truth, if we love truth, if we hunger for truth, if we listen to things that are being preached and we go, you know what, where's the truth in this? If you sit, this is why we always say we want to raise intelligent believers. If you ever hear any of us say anything that seems wrong, don't discard it and go, oh, no, 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 they must be right. No, you listen and you search out and you seek for truth in the word of God. Seek for truth and look for truth. But it hurts to find truth because it hurts what we want to do. A self-centered culture, though, makes holiness opposite, doesn't it? It makes it, holiness becomes something opposite to that self-focus. But when we don't have that heart desire to look for truth, See, we can all look the same when we sit in church, but as you grow older and as you do life with the Lord, the trajectory of where our lives ends up becomes very, very different. We can look the same in church. We can amen the same things. We can applaud and say, that's exciting and that's great. But if we don't have that desire for truth in the very core of our being, that it's not affecting our very character, the trajectory is very different. And, um, and what starts here. In later life, it is seen. Because lawlessness makes it all about ourselves. You know, Brahma and I can't actually afford to make mistakes in any area. Why? Because it's for your sakes. We can't afford to do that. And um, when we love truth, we fear God. 
However, what we see more and more that there are whole churches that are built on serious doctrinal error. There are leaders that are falling. And leaders don't necessarily fall when they're in their 20s or their late 20s or their early 30s. Has anyone noticed that leaders fall when they're in their late 40s, 50s, 60s? Because it's about the trajectory that their life has gone on. Because people ignore the truth in the word that must translate to the innermost part of our being. You know, I just heard this week that Bill Hybels has fallen. And just to name one among many other people, the fall. And, but when you look back and you read everything that happened, this wasn't just a whoops, I fell. This is something that started many, many decades ago. And I look at different churches that are now operating and they look successful on the outside, but you look at their core belief systems and they're wrong. And they might look great and successful on the outside. They're going to have much bigger numbers than we do and many other churches in Australia do, but there will come a point where they will topple over because if you grow your life or your church on a wrong foundation, it cannot last. The trajectory ends up in a bad place. And so we have to love truth. When we create our own version of truth, the trajectory is scary. And we begin to fit everything into that version of truth. Um, one thing that's really devastated me and <clears throat> is just when I see church leaders using their God-given public platform, uh, and, and I'm seeing this more and more. So can I just kind of open up and be a little bit honest here today as opposed to lying? Is that a, as opposed to pretending? No, you know I never pretend. You know I never lie. But Brahm and I are getting older now, and we're getting bolder. And so we're going to be saying more and more things. <laughs> but I feel like we can't really stay quiet anymore. Because there are too many other voices out there that dominate. And we sit back and we watch, and we see... And we see the trajectory, and the, it's devastating for the people of God. In America, we're seeing church leaders. Now, I'm not going to talk about politics, because politics is not my, my position. It's not my, that's not what we use our pulpit for. But I will talk about church leadership, because that is what we're meant to do. We are meant to judge the body and to look at things. And I want to warn all of us here to be very, very careful what we're reading. Because social media, the internet brings everything right into our phones, into our homes, into our, you know, into our earpieces when we're traveling to work. We get to hear, read, see everything. We are influenced from every side. And that's why if we don't have truth at the core of our being, we will be influenced in such a bad way. I see church leaders, I've watched them online, people with huge names and huge followings and that are even um, applauded at, at major national level in America, prioritizing, and you heard me rant a bit about this a few weeks ago, but prioritizing powerful political judicial positions over possible plausible abuse victims. Christian leaders going online diminishing and demeaning something and saying, oh, that just happened 40 years ago. He said no. She said no. That should be fine. 
No, 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 that is a complete misrepresentative of the truth. And we as Christian leaders should not be getting up there and defending these kind of things. Can I just say that? All right, we see Christian leaders, and I just saw one this week, prioritizing arms deals in America over a mutilated, murdered journalist. I'm sorry, but if we want to connect the truth of the word and who we are as Christians to the real world, this is the real world. This, that is what's happening around us. And when I see Christian leaders actually going online and using their influence, using their position, like this is a holy place that I stand in right now. Not this, not the blue floor. <laughs> but from a governmental point of view, under God, who's listening to every word I'm saying, to use a position like that which God puts upon his people and then to use it to actually publicly influence the Christian masses or the non-Christian masses and basically say arms deals that are worth billions and billions of dollars are more important than a murdered journalist. And might I just say this murdered journalist fled to the US because he was afraid. He wrote for the Washington Post and he lived in a Christian nation. Think about this, guys. He lived in a Christian, he took refuge. He was a refugee in a Christian nation where he had the chance of watching the church in motion, where he had the chance of seeing the reality of who Jesus is. Wow. I get really passionate about this stuff because I, I find it harder and harder to see an abuse of power that is connected to the truth of our precious Bible. And when we see this kind of thing, it's devastating. I saw another pastor online using scriptures publicly and using their, their online following to support the president's decision for parents and children to be separated at the border when discussing refugees. Using scriptures, and when you look at it, it's so, such a wrong exegesis, it's a wrong, wrong way of, of discussing the scriptures that they were using. When clearly the Bible actually talks about us looking after, the, the Bible says the alien, the foreigner, the refugee, widows, orphans, and the alien. Like it doesn't take much to read the Bible and hunger for truth, but you're saying, Diane, why are you talking about stuff that's happening in America? Guys, what happens in America? Give it five seconds, it'll be happening in Australia. Okay? And this is a mentality, and it's, 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 it's influencing Christian mindsets. And what are we all, dumb or something? We need to go to our Bibles. Sorry, did that just come out of my mouth? No, but you know what I'm saying? Like we need to, I, I watch the masses believe this stuff and I think, wow, are you going to the Bible and listening and looking for truth? Hungering for truth? Desiring truth at all costs? Just because thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people agree to it does not mean that it's true. And if the church wants to have an impact in these last days, then we have to be careful because the Bible says if we don't love truth, we will, God will give us over to delusion. All right? So we have to be very careful. Like I said, I'm not trying to get involved with the politics here, but the Christian leaders need to be very careful when speaking on behalf of truth because we represent a higher kingdom and one that is being watched by a higher authority. And uh, yeah, I, I watch this from afar and I see the abuse of the truth of the word of God. 
making it say what they want it to say. We can't do that. All right. How do you think God sees all of this? Well, if we think that God only avenges people because they're defrauding someone sexually, then we probably don't understand the nature and the justice of God. Luke 17, 1-2 says, He said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. In other words, the teacher, the instructor, the person of influence, the one that has the platform to actually, to actually stand and speak and influence the mindsets of people. This is what it says. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Wow. Okay, so this is a really serious kind of message today. But we live in kind of serious times. And I think we need to love truth as individuals more than ever before. We don't get the privilege of redefining truth. Because when we try, God will allow deception and delusion to come in. All right, so that's number one. Have we got it? Love truth. Number two, stand firm and hold what you've been taught. Stand firm. Remember this in the context of we've got to contend. And you're not just contending for you, you're contending for your children. You know, you're contending for the ones that are to come. You're contending for your nation, for your community. When, when you're younger, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you think, oh, yeah, Brahma died there. They're old. That'll be forever away. Hey, I was 39. I was in my 30s when we started this church. That doesn't seem that long ago. I also thought like that when I started this church, and here I am with 11 years till I'm 70, you know, and I'm watching 80-year-olds go to funerals, uh, be buried in funerals. I think that's not that far away for me. So I'm taking this very seriously about the impact that we can have. Time goes so fast. We really are missed, like the Bible says. Our lives go like that. So stand firm and hold what you've been taught. 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 verse 5. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So we've got to stand firm. Hold on to what you've been taught. Don't let the principles die with Brahmanai. The things that we teach, the things that our generation have passed on that we've taught. God will always use anointed leaders to pass down truth. And, uh, but we've got to love and hunger for truth even more than we love our leaders. You know, I love Kevin Connor. I love him. I go and visit him all the time. But even more, I felt kind of greedy when I was around him because I would, every time I'd be with him, I'd say, hi, Kevin, how are you now? Can you please explain this, 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 and this to me. I wanted the truth that this man had, that God had anointed him with. And I would record and I would sit for two hours at a time taking notes, exhausting him, you know, and just asking him question after question about theological questions because I just hungered for the truth. And uh, I love him, but I love the truth of the word of God being poured through him even more. And I think if we can love truth even more than we love our leaders, then we're on the right track. If we're looking to our leaders to be the personification of truth, that's not going to happen. Jesus is the person of the truth. Brahm and I are definitely not the person of the truth. But we will lead you to the truth. We will preach the truth. We will preach from the little specific perspective that we have on the truth. 
and we will raise up many others around us who can bring in uh, an, an increase in that perspective on truth. But we are not the person of the truth. We have to hunger for him. Um, and when we seek truth, see, this is the thing. When all of us have a deep hunger for truth, God will make sure that you sit under the right leaders. You could, you could ask the question, well, who do I, how do I know if these guys are the right leaders? How do I know if I'm not wasting my time under these pastors? Well, you know what? It's not about, are these the right pastors? Are these the right leaders? Is this the right doctrine? Is this the right stream? No, no, no. You've got to go right back to, am I desperate for truth? Because when you hunger for truth, you will find truth. You will find truth. God will lead you. He will give you the right leaders. A maverick spirit says there's no need for church government. There's no need for leadership. But that's not how God works here on the earth. So we've got to trust God to put us under good leaders. And the first qualification for good leaders is this. Look for people with a good reputation. Acts chapter 6, verse 3 says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you um, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom that we may put in charge of this task. So you notice there that the first criteria is men of good reputation. And then it says, full of the spirit and of wisdom. In other words, it is the truth that has been clearly and consistently outworked in a person's life, more so than even the power of the Holy Spirit and knowledge. You've got to look for that kind of fruit. I've seen many people with lots of you know, explosive gifts of the Holy Spirit, but when you look at the trajectory of their lives, I don't see the fruit of character in their lives. And I don't see the fruit of good reputation in their lives. You know, we could look back now and we can see people that have fallen in all different ways and we can see the seeds of untruth in them that were there in their 20s and in their 30s. You know, God shows us these things because he wants us to be intelligent believers. So even though people might be applauded and successful and celebrated and seem so blessed at some particular time in their lives, it's how we finish, not how we start. So be wise, be wise people. Look for truth in your own lives and look for truth. But then stand on the traditions. Draw from the older generation. Draw down from, from, from us who are teaching you and who are leading you. All right. Number three, the last one here. Honor the word above all else. Honor the word above all else. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1 says this. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened amongst you. You know, I, I constantly pray that the word of God would multiply. Not, not our brand, not Melbourne Life, not our music, not our look, our feel, anything, not our name. I pray that the word of God would multiply. That's what happened in the early church. Over and over and over throughout, the, if you read through the book of Acts, it says, and the word of God multiplied, and the word of God increased. And why? Because people were honoring the word of God above all else. And we've got to see that the word is honored. You know, the Bible talks about wolves and sheep's clothing, and we started off with that scripture from Acts, where Paul was addressing the elders, and he said, be careful because savage wolves are coming in, and um, they're going to... Um, they're going to try and devour you and do the wrong thing by you. And, you know, sad to say that now at our age, we've witnessed a few too many wolves in sheep's clothing. I didn't really believe they existed, but I realize now wolves in sheep's clothing definitely, believe, uh, definitely exist. Tears are definitely amongst the wheat. And the only way for us to really be able to know the difference is for us all to hunger for truth like never before. 
and to look for the right um, reputation and the right humility and, and desire for the Word of God in people. But when we honour the Word of God um, more than anything, then that prioritises Jesus. That places him in the right place. And I've seen wolves in sheep's clothing, what they would do is they would desire more honour for themselves than they will for the Word of God. When push comes to shove, they won't humble themselves until it hurts to love truth to bring them through. They will somehow blame and put it on other people and put it on something else because they hunger and ravage. What do wolves do? Wolves are hungry. They devour. And, um, and sadly, they devour the masses and devour the sheep. So, but when we honour the word of God, you will see the fruit in people's lives if they really honour the word. Honouring the word, it, it, it's got to hurt us. Loving truth has got to hurt us. It's got to hurt us at the level of our family. You know, we ask, what is our ministry? Our ministry is to basically just to keep doing good on every level of life. Um, it's, the word of God is the only thing that will grow us. It's the only thing that will prepare us for life. I want to challenge all of us here in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, in our relationships that we have, in your leadership, honour the word of God. Use your gifts to serve one another. If we can honour the word in these most basic areas of our lives, our trajectory to become leaders in the kingdom of God is sound. And when I say leaders, I don't mean standing up here with a microphone. We've got to, we've got to smash that mindset that ministry is about a microphone and, and a, and a uh, label. We've got to smash that mindset. Ministry... You know what ministry says? Basically in Thessalonians, it says, work hard with your hands, stop asking for money, do good, and don't get tired of doing good to others. Don't you love that? That's the blunt Diane Manusama version. Do you want to hear that again? Work hard with your hands, go and get a job, stop asking for money. You know, I've had people say they want to go on the mission field and they get annoyed when, when they ask us and beg us for money and we say no because our whole church is on a mission field. It's called Melbourne. And then they get really angry and then when you say, Why don't, and then they don't have enough money to live and you say, well, go and get a job. And they say, no, God told us not to work. Well, they need to go back to Thessalonians and read, work hard with your hands, get a job, stop asking for money, do good and don't get tired of doing good to others. No more navel-gazing and pondering on self. We're not sitting around, you know, in the lotus position. Is that a position? That, you know, and, 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 and meditating and going, hmm, we're not doing that. No, we're working hard with our hands. We're stop asking for money. We're doing good. The Bible says, get busy. It says, look after, the, look after the widows, only if they're 60 and older, but even then. Make sure that they're busy and they're not being busybodies. So work hard, get a job, don't be busybodies, do good. Come on. We think church has to be everybody up here with a microphone and getting paid. Forget it. Forget it, guys. You know what? Next week, I'm really excited. Is Will here? I don't think. Yeah, he's down the back. He's going to be preaching next week. Will Chua is going to be preaching because we're not here. Now, he's this young man with a high-powered job, family of five, very busy, runs a cell group, and very busy man. But you know what? He's preparing to sow the word of God into his community. 
I want you to begin to imagine a church community of people who love truth so much. We have so many people who are able to get up here and to be able to share the word of God, but they're not looking for positions. They're not looking to let go of their day job and become, you know, pastors. They're just bringing the word of God. After that, we've got Josh preaching. Then we've got Carvin preaching. We're going to get more and more of our people sharing the pulpit to bring the word of God Imagine a church where every one of us know how to share and to bring and to build one another up, but we don't have to look for a microphone. No, we get a job, we do good, work hard, stopping a busybody, and stop navel gazing. Yeah. Has anyone done that lately by any chance? <laughs> Some of us can't find our navel. Uh, <laughs> good one, though. All right, so. I'm pretty excited, actually, because we're about to announce um, in five months' time, we are starting up our DMS again, and um, it's being kind of renewed a little bit. We realise with DMS that people come in, they get, like, a revival for a week, but then after that, they flounder, and they don't quite know where to go next. So we've been really praying into it and really thinking hard about all this. And uh, so we've revamped DMS and we're about to launch that now for you guys. We want to show you what we've got planned. And we're so excited. We've start, we're starting up an entire mentorship department. So DMS, DMS is going to be next week. And it's going to... Uh, next week. It's going to be next year. <laughs> all of you sign up now for next week. <laughs> These guys just had a conniption. Um, um, it's going to be next year and it's going to go for a week. The only time that we, we ask of anyone is to take one week's leave. That's all you're going to need. But the before and the after is going to be vital. DMS actually won't start in that week that we, we have off. It'll actually start a few weeks earlier. There's going to be mentoring before, and there's going to be extended mentoring after. We're starting an entire mentorship department that is going to help people and mentor people through. The only... Um, Commitment you have to make is to be here at Genizano for DMS. Everything else is going to happen online, face-to-face through Skype or Zoom or something like that. But there's going to be a real inputting and a pouring in to everybody who does DMS so that there is a real sense of um, understanding and pouring in and putting into practice the principles that we learn and that we do in DMS. So I'm pretty excited. Um, You know, DMS itself started from a place of, of conflict and contending. And so we want that to, I want, when you do DMS, I want you to realise this is not a DNA course. This is not a course you had to go through to become a church member. No, DMS, even though the outworking of it looks like a course, but you've got to understand this is a belief system. In fact, Melbourne Life started with DMS. Why? Because Brahma and I started it. And it came out of our belief system. Everything that we teach in DMS is an embodiment, really, really, of what we believe and how we live our lives. And so when we've started churches overseas, it started from DMS. You know, when Paul would go into different cities, he would go there for three years or for two weeks or different places, and he would teach and preach. And what he was doing is he was doing his DMS, probably a little bit better than ours, but um, he was laying down foundational principles. And then he would say, all right, now I'm going to leave, but I'm going to leave in charge Um, leaders and elders so that you can start that gathering of believers become a church. And that's what happened in Jakarta. It's what happened in Nashville. And it's basically what happened here. 
So we want to, to do DMS in a whole revamped way, but very seriously, because we see this assault on truth that is coming against your generation and causing such confusion. And we want to grab a hold of that and say, no more. We're going to give everything. You know, Colossians 1, 28, 29, our favorite verse. We're going to seriously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works within us to bring you guys into a place of maturity because you are the next generation to take it on. Remember that, yeah? You guys are the ones to take it on. Just like Paul said to the elders at Ephesus, come on, I'm about to go. You've got to be aware now. Yeah, and we want to pour everything into you guys. We're going to be looking for uh, mentors as well. Carvin's going to be heading up the, the mentorship side of things. And we've seen incredible success. We already know that this is going to be uh, absolutely successful because it's already happening in Indonesia with, where we've done DMS overseas. We've had someone doing this exact model, mentoring weekly um, through Skype. Um, to people in other countries and it's just the, the fire and the fervency and the love for truth in people is just growing. It's not diminishing, it's actually growing. And so we're really excited because um, I believe God wants to mobilise the church in Australia and uh, you guys are it. So love the truth, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions and the teachings that we pour into you and honour the word of God with all of your hearts. Amen? Awesome.